Greetings, dear listeners. Thanks for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. This is Pastor Bobby, and uh, you're tuning in to a discussion between uh, myself and our other two pastors, Pastor Nate. Nate, good to see you. Hey, good to, good to hear everybody. And Pastor Andrew. Andrew, good to see you as well. Likewise. We have been doing these discussions in lieu of um, our sermons in our Sunday gatherings each week uh, due to our social distancing. Um, We are trying to be a little bit more creative with our content and our teaching. And, um, you know, you as a listener may have different thoughts about this, but we've thoroughly enjoyed getting together weekly uh, in this kind of format to discuss a topic to discuss uh, certain passages of scripture, to dig into those, and also to relate those to what's going on for our lives in in this moment. The things that we're dealing with, how we're processing being apart from each other, how we're processing what's going on in our in our community, in our city, and around the world, and, and uh, yeah, what what the truths of Jesus, what the truths of Scripture mean for us in this moment. And so today we are going to be starting a new series of discussions that are part of a larger look that our church has been doing into what we call spiritual formation, which is just a, um, a, a way of saying the process of our participation in the Spirit's ongoing work of transformation in our life, that God has brought us into, out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, but the Spirit's work in our lives is transforming us as men and women into the people that God has created us to be, that God is forming us and shaping us into his people uh, for his good pleasure and to be about his purposes here in this world. And one of the things that, that we talk about a lot at SOMA and SOMA Northwest, when we think about who are we as people, what, what defines us as a church community, well, very simply, we are people who practice the way of Jesus. We, we look at the way that Jesus lived, what he taught, um, how he ministered to people in this world, and we say that's what God has called us to do. And we don't do it just as a holy huddle or just for our own benefit, but we are practicing the way of Jesus for the life of the world. We want to see the transformation that God is about in our own lives. We want to see that transformation happen in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our networks of relationships um, around this city, and then as we go out and spread out all over this uh, this world. We want to be a visible, long-standing church community that represents the kingdom of God in this city, and that cannot happen apart from the power and presence of God's Spirit. And so over the next few weeks, we are going to dive into the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives individually, but also in the life of the church. And I think now more than ever, um, while our physical presence with each other is distant and we may feel powerless in the face of this pandemic that our lives are being, um, uh, our lives are being dictated for us, by other people because of this pandemic and this global outbreak. Now more than ever, we need to be aware and connected to the Spirit of God. And so over the next few weeks, we are going to look at the Spirit uh, the Spirit's work in our lives personally. We're going to look at the Spirit's work in our, in our church community. And we're going to look at the Spirit's work in our world And today, we are going to take some time to discuss, just broadly speaking, who is the Holy Spirit? How do we see the Spirit at work in the scriptures? And what does that mean for our lives right now? And then in subsequent subsequent weeks, we're going to dive and dig more into that. And so, Nate Andrew, I just want to start broadly here um, on a, a, um, I guess, a negative point. When we talk about the Spirit, um, 
there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of misunderstanding about the spirit, who the spirit is, what the spirit does. Um, why do you think that is? Why do we as uh, evangelical Christians here in America, uh, can't speak for other folks around the world, but in this stream, in our context, why, why do we have so much confusion and misunderstanding about the spirit? Well, I think that there's a lot of reasons. One of the most pressing and something that I want to uh, challenge everybody with is in the most scary of all the reasons why people might not have a clear understanding or relationship with the Holy Spirit is that simply put, they may not actually be, sa be saved. Their American evangelicalism has taught such an intellectual assent to ideas about Jesus. Believe these things about Jesus, which isn't the same thing as having a relationship with him or being empowered by him. The Holy Spirit is the one who brought Christ back from the grave in Romans 8, right? So it is that same spirit who gives life to us and dwells in us. So ultimately, if we as believers don't have the Holy Spirit, we aren't saved. We're not really believers. We are not animated with the resurrection power of Christ. So I, there's a lot of other things that go into it, which I'm sure that we'll talk about. But one of the things I want to challenge everybody with is if you don't have any experience at all with God's spirit, if you have no awareness of or relationship to, and you don't understand that God's spirit is living in you. It may be because he's not living in you and you don't have any relationship to him. And what you really need is to understand and to relate to and to submit your life to Jesus Christ so that his spirit, the Holy Spirit can indwell you and fill you and you can begin to understand him. Yeah. I'll just add, if you've, if you've gotten to that point, uh, that it doesn't necessarily get easier for there from there. Uh, yeah. for, for people, you know, and that's, that's, you know, kind of out of the frying pan into the fire in that regard, you receive the Holy spirit. And then all of a sudden the Holy spirit is calling you and empowering you to do really hard things. Uh, it, it, I think that that also is, uh, is a reason why we don't, we don't really press into this, uh, press into understanding the Holy spirit better, the work of the Holy spirit or what he might be doing in us because he's often calling us to do things that are really hard. And I think also there's an element to this in which the, our experience of God's spirit is a communal experience. And we'll talk about this in future weeks. And we in the American church, we're not good with communal experiences. We're not good with deep uh, abiding relationships with one another. But that is actually where the Holy Spirit indwells and empowers us as a group, as a people, right? So if you aren't experiencing peace and patience and self-control and all of these things, it's partially because of that lack of relationship. And we'll get into that again in future weeks, but the spirit indwells the people of God. And so the more we cut ourselves off from one another, the less of an understanding of God's spirit, which means the less of an understanding of God himself that we're even capable of having because we've removed from ourselves one of the primary contexts in which we experience God's spirit and God's um, resurrection power in our own lives because we, we're not with our brothers and sisters and we're not together and we're not living in harmony and community. Therefore, we can't feel his spirit and it's no wonder we're confused as a people. Some of the broader things in our culture that are just baked into the way that we are living our lives and that, you know, it's just the water that we, the water that we're swimming in, the air that we breathe. I think that when you look at those things, you know, the, the, the self-sufficient individualism that is uh, rampant in our culture, the, um, uh, just the the idea that um, you know we want to we want to make sense of everything we want to have answers for everything we have a really hard time with faith um, in general faith in anything we are control freaks 
uh, as people. And all of those things just set, our, set us up to really having a difficult time experiencing the, the power of God's spirit in our lives. And, you know, so some of this is just choices that we're making. Some of it's the, um, uh, the just the cultural milieu that we live in. And then honestly, you know, a lot of it is just bad teaching, just really bad teaching about the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, on one end, you have have erroneous teaching, just flat out unbiblical teaching about the person and work of the Spirit. But then on the other hand, you have just really stiff teaching. And I think that this would probably apply to the, the, the maybe theological stream that, that we are swimming in as a church and probably what a lot of us have experienced growing up. Um, in our in our faith context is just stiff or even non-existent teaching about the spirit's work. You know, you hear things like the spirit is the um, the shy member of the Trinity, or the spirit, oh. the spirit is the the uh, that somehow is subservient to. Um, God the Father and God the Son. And so, you know, all of those kind of things, obviously, no wonder we wouldn't seek the power of the Spirit. We wouldn't even acknowledge that the Spirit comes in power and that the Spirit's presence um, holds just a, a wealth of of understanding and experience in our relationship with God. Quite honestly, it's safer not to really seek the power and presence of the Spirit um, as people who like to be in control and like everything to be ordered and things that we can get our heads around. Um, you know, when you look at the power of the Spirit in, in um, the scriptures and what happens when the Spirit comes upon people and the work that he wants to do, it, it's, it, it shifts the focus off of us and onto what God sees and his, uh, his perspective and what he wants to do. And then lastly, I think we've just become satisfied with Holy Spirit replacements uh, in our American Christianity. Uh, who needs the Spirit when you can rely on people's competency in ministry uh, and organizational uh, acumen? Who needs You're meddling spirit? now, Bobby. You're meddling. <laughs> I'm stepping on some toes here. That's, that's good. But who needs the spirit when we have schools and, and training right. programs where exactly we can right. educate people and train people in what yes. it means to minister? Who needs the spirit when we can throw millions and millions and millions of dollars into church coffers? Um, and so I, I think that those are some things that, that really, you know, set us up for failure when it comes to the power and presence of the spirit in our yeah. lives. You know, I'll throw, I'll throw one more on that. Yeah, I'll throw one more on that. And this may be particular to, you know, just the streams that I've been swimming in. And I want people to be very careful to listen to what I'm saying, what I'm not saying. There are folks who will say, who needs the spirit when we have the completed canon of scripture, right? We have the Bible. What do we need the spirit for? As if it's possible to understand God's word apart from God's spirit. As a as if you can just read the word of God as words on a page, right? And have any real depth of spiritual insight or enlightenment about those. If left, the Holy Spirit is not illuminating your heart and bringing the knowledge and wisdom of God to your heart, as if the words themselves were somehow self-sufficient, as if they didn't require the animation of the Spirit, and so you get whole theological streams that say things like, well, now that we have the completed word of God, we don't need the spirit to manifest himself anymore. That's, that's dead. That is, a, that is dead teaching. That's not something that the scriptures actually uh, teach at all. The scriptures teach us that they themselves, the scriptures themselves, are a way that we interact with God's spirit and God talks to us in our hearts through his word they're not a replacement for god's spirit they are a way that we encounter god's spirit within us and they make god's spirit uh his voice clear to us and he uses those and they're they're incredibly important there there's we we can't we have nothing without them but they're not a replacement for god's spirit and that's a 
that's a legitimate teaching that people go out and teach. It's not a true teaching, but it's a very common teaching in evangelical circles. The word of God has replaced the spirit of God. All of that said is why we want to take some time to really dig into this. Uh, we don't, we want to counter erroneous teaching about the spirit. We want, um, we want to open up the scriptures and show the, the life um, and the divine animation that the spirit brings into our lives. It is not stiff. Uh, it's not um, chaotic or, or um, uh, something that we can't understand. Um, and so our hope as we continue to talk about this is that, that, that we as a church can, excuse me, as a church community, we continue to be able to live into the kind of life that God wants us to live, which is only possible by understanding um, and embracing the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so, very simply put, who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, a theologian by the name of Gordon Fee provides a, a really succinct definition of the spirit that I think is, is helpful and something that we can begin to work off of here. He defines the Holy Spirit as God's empowering presence, that the Holy Spirit is God's person. You see in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not an impersonal you know, force like from Star Wars. Uh, it, it's not um, it, it, it is not an it. Uh, God's spirit is personal. God's spirit is a relational being. And that person comes with power. God's spirit empowers Jesus's followers to live with Jesus, to know Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus and, and, and the Father, and do the works that Jesus did that God's spirit is uh, powerful. And finally, God's spirit is God's presence. That God's presence dwells with us and God's presence dwells in us. And so each one of those, each, each part of that, that definition is, we're gonna dig into that here in the next few minutes, but, but who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. And so let's, for the, for the purposes of, of this discussion, let's focus the next few minutes as we talk about this on what we see the relationship being between Jesus and the Spirit. How do we see the Spirit involved in the life of Jesus? And then how does Jesus himself help his disciples and by extension us understand the work of the Spirit? So Andrew, I wanted to you mentioned this um, kind of off off mic before we started, but can you walk us through just uh, Luke chapter four, Jesus stepping on the scene and and proclaiming words from Isaiah sixty one? Walk us through what that what Jesus is saying there, and how that helps us begin to understand the person and work of the Spirit. Yeah, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is reading in the temple, and he reads this passage from Isaiah 61. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me. And I think to understand the relationship between Jesus and the Spirit, we need to take a step back and understand the, the, the Trinity it, itself, the, the whole of God, that, to understand that Jesus is fully God, but he is also fully man. And he came uh, in this passage, he was citing, he says, the Holy Spirit has anointed me um, to, to do works. And the works that he's been anointed to do by the Spirit are the works of the Father. So Jesus is God, yes, but he's also fully man. And the relationship that we see between Jesus and the Spirit is, to your point from this definition from Fee, is an empowering presence that the Spirit is calling Jesus and empowering Jesus to do the works of the Father in his human flesh because Jesus is both God and man. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't perfectly obey the father in his godness. He perfectly obeys the father even unto death by the power of the Holy spirit and the leading of the Holy spirit. So the, the relationship between Jesus and the spirit uh, is a relationship between Jesus and the spirit and the father, the spirit calling and empowering Jesus to do the things the father has sent Jesus to do. 
Yeah, you know, I think that there, there's so much richness and depth there, right? So, like, it begins with the baptism of Christ and the Holy Spirit descending on him as a dove. And this is that, that idea that you're getting at, Andrew, right? Like, that God's impre- empowering presence has come down on Jesus Christ. And it's, a, it's easy sometimes to even to think about Jesus' miracle workings and his teachings, Um almost like they were superpowers, right? Like he was Superman and he had heat vision. He could just shoot things out of his eyes that Jesus himself and his body just had all of this power that Jesus himself and his body was doing miracles. Jesus himself and his body was exactly, as you said, a human being, man, what allowed Jesus to do mighty works was the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in him. It's not that Jesus's body had, you know, uh, had like healing powers in his hands because his cells were somehow different than our cells. Jesus had the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, the empowering presence of God, worked the works of God out through him, which by the way is the same thing that Jesus then gives to his followers, he asked us to work in the same way that he worked under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. And I think that can be really encouraging to people who sometimes can feel like, man, I can't do what Jesus did. You know, my, my WWJD bracelet only gets me so far because I'm not God, right? I can't do these things that God did. I can't just have somebody touch the hem of my robe and be healed. But in reality, if you realize that Jesus was doing the things he was doing by the empowering presence of God. And that same spirit is the same empowering presence of God that fills his people. That's good news. That is encouraging, hopeful news that we can do the works of Jesus and greater works than these. Not because, you know, we're somehow greater than Jesus, but the same power that's at work in him that raised him from the dead, raises us from the dead and empowers us and indwells his church. Yeah, and that, that's an important that's an important thing to to really dig into is is our understanding that Jesus, well, when Jesus came to this earth, he wasn't God just pretending to be a human being. He was fully human, and this is what Paul was getting at in Philippians two that Jesus didn't just he didn't put away his divinity, but he he chose to put away the power that that yeah. was rightfully his as god and so the spirit gave jesus the power jesus received back that power from the spirit um and i think that that is really important to for us just as we try to figure these things out to understand and to not to not fall into that to that um, Jesus as as superhero yeah. understanding of what he meant, what it means to be fully God and 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 fully man, but where does Jesus get the power to do his Messiah work? The proclaiming good news to the poor, the proclaiming liberty to the captives, the recovering sight to the blind, to setting at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor. Like all of those things are evidences that God's kingdom was breaking through in that moment through Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is saying and what we, what we see in Jesus' experience and then also what Jesus uh, communicates to his disciples is that the reason I'm able to do these things is that the Spirit has given me power to do these things. And that is the same spirit that Jesus promises to his disciples and then the same spirit that lives in us today. And so let, let's, let's go over to John 14, because I think we can, we can really dig in and see some of these things in the words of Jesus as Jesus is, is with his disciples right before his death. I mean, these are, as we know, often the words of someone who is on their deathbed, the last words of someone, like these are the words that are weighty. These are the words that they want to leave with the people um, who are closest to them. And here's what Jesus says to his disciples in, in John 14, starting in verse 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these 
will he do? Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. Mm. So Jesus promises this spirit. And he says, greater works than you will do greater works in my name than, than I do. What, what, is he, what is Jesus getting at there? What, what is he promising his disciples will be their reality because of the Spirit's power and presence in their life? The realization of the kingdom. I mean, this is the things that Jesus did, and, and reading Luke 4 is the perfect place to start. All of those things that, that Jesus was there to do, to free captives and 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 heal the sick and and all of those things and proclaim the year of the lord's favor all of these things that jesus was doing his disciples did even more of those things even more of those things because of the empowering presence of the holy spirit now I, I, one of the reasons why i love this passage and if anybody thinks that i was being uh hyperbolic or harsh at the beginning when i said if you don't have the spirit you don't have god or if you don't know the spirit you're not saved i mean jesus exactly says that exact thing in this passage right like the world cannot receive the spirit it neither sees him nor knows him you know him for he dwells with you that this is what jesus is promising god's presence his empowerment living with the church empowering the church and driving the church to do the work of God. And those works, um, those works were legion. Those works are, um, are incredible. I mean, the whole book of acts and everything that follows um, the spirit of God came with power and it changed the world. Yeah. And if you, if you look at uh, in this passage, Jesus says, um, as, as the people of God are empowered by the Spirit of God to do the works of God, God the Father will be glorified through the Son. And it just makes me think back to our series in Exodus. We said this several times, and even our Advent series, that the work that God is doing in the world is revealing himself and making yeah. himself known, showing his kingdom. So yeah, to nature point, it's, it's, it's the work of showing what the kingdom of God is like. And the people of God live in the power of the Spirit of God to do the things that God the Father wants done in his kingdom. And I just wanted to call out that I think it's helpful to see how when Jesus, when Jesus lived in the power of the Spirit, did the things that he did when he was on earth, God the Father was glorified in that. God was revealed and made known and made, made um, glorified. Likewise, when we live in the power of the Holy Spirit to do the things of God, Jesus is glorified. And so you see how we're yeah. caught up into that work of Jesus of making the Father known and, and, and glorifying him to the world. I think the other thing not to be missed in this passage is this idea that Jesus is describing the Holy Spirit as another counselor, another helper. Of, and that's of the same sort that he is. And this is partially where some of our just popular evangelical language, like inviting Jesus into your heart. Let's be clear. Jesus is a physical human being right now, seated on a throne in a glorified body. You know, like Jesus is a physical being. Jesus can't physically live in your heart because he's a person with a body, right? He gave up his omnipresence or whatever to be physical his spirit however the holy spirit which is uh god in the same way that he is god that spirit is what lives in us so sometimes we use words we use the word jesus or we use the word god 
when more specifically what we're really talking about is the Holy Spirit, right? So some of the reason why we get confused is because we say, oh, Jesus lives in my heart or God lives in my heart. And this not, it's just imprecise, right? It's not, it's not accurate. It's a God's spirit that's living in our hearts. And that spirit is the spirit of Jesus. That spirit is the spirit of God, but it is a different manifestation of God as a different person of God. It is the empowering presence of God that lives in us and dwells with us. And it is that spirit that is praying and communicating our needs to God the Father. Yeah, and that's a great picture of the relationship, the intimate relationship that Jesus had with his disciples. You know, that, that he was, um, uh, even though he was their master and their teacher, you know, he calls them friends. There was an intimacy there that they had with him. And what Jesus is telling them here in this, this passage is that intimacy that you have with me is going to continue. Like it will continue because yes. of the spirit. You, yes. you know him. The, the world can't know him because ultimately the, because the world doesn't know Jesus. Yes. You know him because he lives with you and in you. And then Jesus says, you know, I'm not going to leave you orphans. Like even though I'm physically going away, he uses the language, I will come to you. You will see me because I live, you will also live. So there's a very, there's very much an I and you continuation that Jesus yeah. is preparing them for. Jesus will be there. Their relationship and intimacy will, with Jesus will continue because the spirit lives with them and in them. And the same is true for us. I just, that's a beautiful thing yeah. for people, for men who were getting ready to have the rug just pulled out from underneath them. Their lives were going to be turned upside down and sent into chaos. Everything that they thought was true, who was going to, to be thrown up into the air. And yet Jesus is saying, listen, that the relationship that you and I have will continue because the spirit is coming. You're not going to be alone. I will be with you. And, and this is the point that uh, in verse 22 of chapter 14, that Judas, not Iscariot, it's makes goes out of its way. Judas, not Iscariot <laughs> said to him, he says, Lord, how will you man? How is it that you manifest yourself to us and not the world? In other words, you're this incredible King and you're sitting up here in a room with us, 11 dudes right? Like, how is it that you're showing all of this to us and not to the whole world? And, and Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he keeps my word and my father will love him and we will come and make our home with him. And so these words about that intimacy, these words about that deep relationship with Jesus that we want and we talk about and that sense in which it's like, yeah, I want to invite Jesus to come be part of my life those words that we use, they're all in this context of Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. So how is it possible that Jesus goes from just hanging out in a room with 11 dudes to suddenly being the king of the universe and being shown to the whole world and now the whole world can have intimacy with him and the Father? How is that possible when he's just one man? The Holy Spirit. That's the entire context for all that rich intimacy language all of that deep connection that Jesus had with his disciples is offered to us. It's not that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's not that Jesus is so far and distant physically that he's on a throne. It's that the Holy Spirit is what comes and indwells you and connects you to him. And so you do have all of that intimacy and all of that richness and all of that deep relationship language that we love and comforts our heart. That's all real. That's all totally legitimate. It's just that it comes through the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you just don't have relationship with Jesus. That's what this entire passage is about. I want to keep going on here um, and look at a couple more passages that I think really uh, continue to hammer this point home. In Acts chapter one, I, I've always been fascinated by the way Luke writes and how it's different from some of the other um, gospel writers. But, you know, Luke begins 
the, uh, the book of Acts by saying in the first book, meaning his gospel, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And I think what Luke, what Luke in our maybe modern parlance is, is saying here is, hey, in the first book, Theophilus, I told you all about what Jesus did on earth. And now in this book, I'm getting ready to tell you about all the things that Jesus continued to do on earth while he is seated on his throne at the right hand of the Father. And he did that through the apostles whom he had chosen by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just think that's such a cool thing that Luke is doing here. It's like, hey, my gospel was about Jesus's life and work while he was on earth. This book is about Jesus's work on earth through the life of the apostles and, and his followers who would come after him. And, and that's what we see. And in Acts chapter four, um, you know, we see Peter and John, two of the apostles, preaching with boldness, healing men. Um, and, and I love this um, uh, the phrase by Luke here, that as people are seeing this, it says when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And I think that that goes back to, to Jesus's promise that they would do greater works. And yeah, the, the scope would be greater the kingdom of God would be spreading throughout this world or throughout this world. But also the greatest testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is when ordinary people are transformed to do the great works of God. Like that, that's just powerful. And I think that, you know, for us and for, for those who are listening, who are struggling with, you know, doubt and struggling with uh, just confusion and maybe guilt and shame and just racked with um, just these feelings of, I just don't measure up. I'm never going to be what God wants me to be. I keep all of these things. It's like when we look at our lives and when we see the works of God in our lives and through our lives, that is evidence of the power of the spirit of God in our lives. Yeah. And we're not perfect. We're, we're, we're going to continue to battle our, our sin and, and destructive choices that we make in our bodies and all of those things. But when we think about stepping out into this world, the greatest testimony to the realness of Jesus, the person of Jesus, is when people begin to see the the, the works of Jesus in our lives in very simple ways. But those ways are profound and great because they wouldn't be there apart from the work of God. No, that's a powerful, that's a really powerful word. And God's entrusting of his spirit to us, his indwelling of us with that spirit of Christ. God himself calls it a guarantee of everything else that we're going to receive. How do we know that any of this stuff is true? How do we know that he's really going to save us? How do we know that we're really forgiven? How do we know that we're really going to receive his kingdom one day? How do we know that he's alive and not dead? How do we know any of this? It's because he marked in us with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who guarantees that he's going to deliver everything he promised, meaning that if he were to not deliver what he promised, he would actually forfeit his own spirit. He would have to stop being himself. 
before he could ever fail us, before he could ever let us down. And so when we experience that spirit of Jesus, both individually and more importantly, even collectively, when we see the fact that Jesus is alive because he's clearly alive, because he's indwelling his people to do these works, we know we don't just have the experience in the moment of these great things that God is doing, but we actually experience the security and the sureness of everything else that we haven't yet received. All of the promises that we're still waiting for, the final deliverance and glorification from sin, all of those things are as good as done and delivered because we have the Holy Spirit. We can know every other promise is going to come through. That, I mean, that's, that is, that is good news. That's the best news that there possibly is. So fellas, as we, as we think about bringing this back down and, and again, we're going to dig more into the, the work of the Holy Spirit here in coming weeks. When we think about God's empowering presence in us, with us, what is a word for those of us listening to this today in this moment uh, in all of the things that we're feeling and all of the things that we're experiencing in the reality of our world right now and just the uncertainty even as this pandemic passes and maybe some of these stricter measures begin to um, loosen over the coming weeks and months, still, we're living with a tremendous amount of uncertainty about what the next year, two years may look like for us, um, you know, financially, uh, in, our, in our health, and not to mention all of the mental, emotional, uh, spiritual things that people are dealing with and that this has, has uncovered. What's a word for this moment to encourage us, to comfort us, to challenge us as we think about God's empowering presence. I think I would want to encourage people with the fact that what I've already seen, right? What I, I can already say that I've seen from um, the missional community that uh, would normally be meeting in my home, but instead of we've been uh, doing Zoom calls, when I see the way people are speaking truth to one another, uh, speaking truth into people's situations. When I see um, folks come and, and talk about the just the struggles, the difficulties in their marriage, and I see other um, other people speaking truth to them, speaking words of encouragement to them, that is an example of the Spirit's work uh, in His people. And so that even in this moment, the Spirit is here. Uh, we are experiencing, you know, really in the scope of humanity, a very short period of isolation. You know, up until, you know, maybe a hundred years ago, people would oftentimes in winter months go whole months without barely seeing anybody. You know what I mean? Like we're not used to this level of isolation, but it's not that it's unprecedented in human times or anything. Um, we feel it, we're anxious about it and we feel it because it's such a disruption to our normal lives, but it's not necessarily on the grand scale of things, stuff that people haven't endured before or that people didn't just endure as a normal course of life. You know, it snowed or it was rainy season. The roads were out. You didn't see anybody for a few weeks. Um, so we can endure this too. And the best way that we can do that is to continue to reach out and be connected with one another, both so that we can receive from the spirit, the blessings that he's given to other people for our good, but also so that we can then pour his love back out on the church and to manifest the spirit uh, to our brothers and sisters. Yeah. I would just add to that uh, just to get back to where, where we started with this, that the work of God that the Holy spirit leads us into and empowers us to do is hard. It's a work of laying down our lives for others by faith. So it's stuff that's just not natural to us in our uh, sinful flesh. And so my encouragement, I guess, would be just not to, not to be um, 
perplexed that experiencing the Holy Spirit and living by the Spirit, living in the presence of the Spirit is is not um, is not an easy or mystical thing. It's a it's a real call to really lay down our lives for one another by faith. We can't see it. Um, it's just a hard work. It's it's, but it's a good work. I mean, I'll go back to. I'll go back to Hebrews, um, you know, Jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross. It's doing the work of God under the rule and reign of God is hard and it's good. Um, so just as we, as we live in this, in this moment where to Nate's point, we we're experiencing isolation, like we've not experienced before. We're experiencing uncertainty in particular with our, uh, our finances, our job, futures and the health of people that we love and care about um, keep doing the hard work of living in the spirit by the spirit together um, and as we see the fruit of that that Nate highlighted here uh, you know in the context of MCs as we see the fruit let's call that out and remind each other that this fruit is a fruit of the spirit of God working in and through us it doesn't happen apart from the spirit of God so to the extent that we see the, the fruit of the spirit the fruit of God's spirit working in and among us, um, that, that is an assurance that Jesus spirit is here amongst us. And if his spirit is here, Jesus is here. We have that fellowship with him. I want to speak to the person that pastor Nate was talking about at the beginning of this discussion, the, the person who may look at their lives and say that this doesn't make sense to me. Um, I don't, I don't experience these things. I don't sense God's presence in my life. Um, I'm going to church. I'm maybe even part of a missional community group. I, you know, I'm reading my Bible. I listen to worship music. But this dynamic relationship that I have with God or that God wants me to have, that, that doesn't jive with my actual experience. I think about when Paul showed up in Ephesus and, um, you know, he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And their response was, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul said that um, John, they, they said, he asked them, then what were you baptized? Into what were you baptized? And they said, well, John's baptism. And Paul replied, John baptized with the baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after them. That is Jesus. And I love this. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, and I think that, you know, my, my encouragement to you is, is not to be someone who, who is always, you know, questioning your salvation and you never feel secure and never feel assured in that. But I think that there comes a time in all of our lives where there is time for good, healthy self-examination. And maybe for you, this is that time to think, okay, I know about Jesus. I'm doing the things that I think Jesus wants me to do. But is there real transformation that's going on in my life? And, and, and what evidence is there that God is at work in me. And I, and I want to say, now is that time. You're, you're hearing about the Spirit. You're hearing about a relationship with God that is, that is dynamic, that is a, a relationship where you know His love, you experience His love, and you begin to see the outworking of the power of Jesus Christ, the resurrection power of Christ in your life now is the time to go before the Lord and to say, God, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Um, bring me to yourself. Um, and maybe that there's somebody out there who's like, yes, I, I know I'm a Christian. I know that, that, uh, that God is working in me, and I've seen that. But maybe for you, the, the, the choices and the decisions that you're making in your life are putting up a real barrier for the Spirit's work to fully take place in and through you. And I think that's where this is also a call to repentance um, for those of us who do follow Christ to say, am I fully invested in the life that God has, has for me? 
And if not, what's keeping me from that? What's keeping me from experiencing the full power uh, and presence of the Spirit in my life? And um, sinful choices and, and just uh, ways in which we've set up our lives to isolate ourselves um, beyond maybe even more than what we're being told to do right now. All of these things um, create a really difficult environment for us to see ourselves begin to grow um, and set roots down deep. That Psalm chapter one, man or woman that God desires us to be through the work of the Spirit. And so we hope that over the next few weeks as we begin to uh, teach more about this and discuss more about the Spirit's work in our lives, that God would bring us all to a place of, of transparency and, and a place of sensitivity to his spirit. What does God want to do in our lives? What does he want to uncover that, that, he, that he needs to, to begin to transform and renew in our lives? And where do we need to be encouraged um, to keep pressing on because of the work that we see God's spirit? Um, doing in our lives. So again, we hope that this is helpful. This is a, a kind of an overview of what we're going to get into in the coming weeks. Next week, we're going to take some time and, and discuss uh, the, the identity that God gives us through the Spirit, that God's Spirit mediates God's love for us, to us, that we experience and know the love of God and who we are as God's children through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But just as we close, um, Nate, would you pray and just ask that the Lord would work these things in our hearts and our minds and just pray for our people for this upcoming week. Lord Jesus, we, we love you and we, we thank you that you did not leave us as orphans. We thank you for your spirit we thank you for your empowering presence that your spirit gives manifestations of your love to us as he wills. And we thank you for each one of our brothers and sisters and for the ways that you have empowered them, that you have filled them that you have poured your grace out to them to then pour it out on the rest of us. Lord, and I just thank you that your spirit shows your wisdom to the world through us. And I just thank you that we can know you and have relationship with you and experience life, even eternal life right now through your Holy Spirit who raises us from the dead, just as he raised Christ from the dead. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for your spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.